Good morning. Mind if I set this down? Whoop. Man, slide this over. I don't want to favor one side or the other, you know. All right. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that I, I find very alluring because it has kind of a trajectory in it of five key points that speak to our relationship with God and our life in God. And I was sparked as I read this by, um, during my, my wicked days as a rock and roll DJ, a, a song that was uh, introduced uh, early in my radio career, and it actually became a joke around the industry uh, that when somebody was being pretentious or boasting or posing, uh, we'd turn and say, take the long way home. That was a super tramp in Breakfast in America hit song called Take the Long Way Home. And it, it, it rings to some of the hollowness of how we tend to live in Western civilization or in, or in North America. And the song goes like this. You never see what you want to see forever playing to the gallery. You take the long way home, the long way home. In other words, the song points to the futility of pretentious living and putting on airs. The long way home uh, is playing to a gallery that you're supposed to impress, charm, BS, or whatever, you know. And um, too many of us play to an imaginary gallery that's somewhere out there putting pressure on us, and we get stuck. A dear friend of mine almost washed out of Christian ministry, and he about went crazy doing it. And he described succumbing in ministry um, to expectations that were not true to his nature and style of ministry, and he'd just torture himself by taking the long way home of playing to a gallery of critics, guides, and people were always trying to push him one way or another. And, and he talked to me about this, and we were recently talking, and, and I told this dear friend, you're living as the organ grinder's monkey. You know the organ grinder's monkey? He grinds, monkey dances goes like this, if you've ever seen the uh, organ grinder monkey. And we stop that, and we realize that the real shorter way home is to realize that we play to an audience of one. This always has been, always will be true. If if our lives are hidden in Christ with God, like the Scripture says, um, we play to an audience of one, and it's God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we want to look at what the pathway is to this straight way home to eternity in Christ, and living with just one person in our balcony that we play to. And uh, I want to read a passage of Scripture that might be enormously helpful for us. It has several points in it, and I'm going to just kind of give five particular um, points that this text sets out before us. So here we go, 2 Timothy 1, verses 1 through 14, okay? Um, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that my joy might be filled. I am reminded of your faith, your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. 
For this reason, I remind you to fan the flame of the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but it gives us power and love and self-discipline. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, Paul, as a prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it's now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, Jesus, who destroyed death and brought us life and immortality through the gospel. Brings immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. This is why I'm suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Jesus. Guard the good deposit, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Lord, this text is so inviting. Paul's sense of proportion and and relationships uh, is so beautiful. Thank you for what this text gives us as a glimpse of life and help us today to uh, spot the places where we're informed and uh, strengthen us to serve and live for you. Amen. Well, I want to just go through five highlights. I'm not, this is, see, I'm not a Presbyterian anymore. That's always three points and three points in a poem. Um, but we're, we're going to expand that to five this morning. Um, so five important things that stick out. First of all, Paul refers to Timothy, my son. And for Paul, it seems he's, he's all in all the time. And his, his life is offered to others. And one of the persons that he has shared life with and is determined to launch the great heights is this young man named Timothy, who was modeled a faith by his grandmother and mother, a faith that is alive in the spirit. Okay? And he refers to Timothy as his son. And, and this begged for me, who, are, who do we have in our lives that we consider spiritual daughters or sons? Who, who are the people that we hold that dear, and who are the people that we invest in as if they were our own progeny? And I think this is powerful because, again, it sets the relationship with Jesus Christ and the relationship between us and the body of Christ as, as family, and that we, we cherish the relationships with the people that we bring along. So one of the things that I, I see here is, for all of us, we have opportunities to be spiritual fathers, sons, mothers, daughters. And this calling is, is really strong. So who, who is it? I, I look through a list. I have about 16 people that I, I regularly encounter, people that I've <clears throat> helped start in ministry and different little things along life's way. And, and those relationships are dear. And I, I look at 
I look at my life and the lives of people that influence me, and I think, man, this this relational access of living and the sense of mentoring people upward is so important. And uh, we've got a challenge here. You know, the, our church is growing. We've got kids that are getting older, and we've got a, a new dedication to uh, children and youth ministry. And, and it's very, very exciting because that can launch us on this pathway. There will be places for all of us to uh, learn to be spiritual parents in, in, this congreg- uh, in this congregation, but also for everywhere we go. So he talks to Timothy, point one, on a relational level as a father to a son. The second thing is that the transmission of a faith that's alive. This faith was evidently alive and world-changing when it was the faith of Tim's grandmother, mother, and then on down to him. And the evidence of depth in Christ is that it's evident in people's lives that Christ is alive in them. If, if Christ is alive in us, there will be evidence to that end. And I think it's very interesting when Paul talks about the transmission of the faith. He didn't say, you know, hey, your mother and grandmother and you, they had this much biblical knowledge. They could say all 66 books of the Bible all in a row without any assistance. You know, and there's, there's all, and you can have a great theological background. But if, if it doesn't come out as the Holy Spirit in you projecting love, Christ's love to the world, you're taking the long way home. You're, you're impressing yourself, but no one else is along, on, along with the trip. We look for a faith that is alive in each other, and, and that's what we spur, that's what we fan. And again, that's more experiential and relationship-oriented than data-oriented. And that's one of the problems in Western Christianity is we tend to be really interested in doctrine and theology and all these different things, but it's very easy to do everything here and nothing down here. In fact, again, in my earlier tradition, we used to joke about us being heads on sticks because it's much easier to live your faith as a head on a stick than a heart with pumping blood, you know. And and so this faith that is alive is always what we're shooting for. It's always what we're fanning in each other. And then a living faith, Paul gets into, this, this is my third point, is that following Jesus, being full of Christ in your life, is not something that we should be timid about, embarrassed of, shy or anything else. God hasn't given us this text a spirit of timidity, but of boldness, love, power, and self-discipline. And this, again, is a living faith, is bold, and we don't need to live timid lives. Uh, We see way too many times where Christians are shy about their faith and shy about speaking about their faith or acting out on what their faith has instructed them. Again, that's taken the long way home. The direct route to Jesus is we want lives of self-discipline, we want to live boldly in Christ. We want to take risks on behalf of other people to serve Jesus Christ. And fourth is what really matters. Um, a friend of mine, Doug Burley, who's been a tremendous mentor of mine, very, very close friend, one of my dearest friends, and uh, spent time with him a week or so ago here. And Doug <clears throat> was with me and my nephew, who was going into ministry back in the Washington, D.C. area. And we were just talking, and, and J.J. asked a question about, Doug, what do you think is critical? And he goes, focus 
on the things that matter 100 years, 500 years, and 1,000 years from now. And if you, if you shoot any lower than that, your experience of life at the fullest as an adventure with Jesus will come up short. We focus on the things that matter long term. And um, the one thing that matters is Jesus. He's the one who, not only for us, but for the sake of all who believe, destroys death and takes us from temporary to immortal in Christ. And I think that immortality thing is tastier when you're in your 60s than when you're in your 30s. <laughs> but it'll be there for you. Just, uh, just hang in. I mean, it's that what matters 100 years from now? Are we investing in the things that go that way? Are we investing in the next generation? Are we investing you know, in, our, in our own children and stuff in a way that we live a life where death is destroyed? Jesus, whose kingdom of light is the light of the world, is something that we're devoted to be living in, and it's worth it. Okay, and then the fifth thing I want to point out here today in this brief medica- meditation is that uh, uh, if, it is a med- if it's a medication and not a meditation, I hope it's not a sedative here today, um, <clears throat> guard the deposit of the gospel that's been made in you. Fan the flame. Live out what it means to be in Christ. And guard the deposit of Christ in you by dependence on the Holy Spirit fulfilling your head and your heart together in a complete faith. And here's the end game. Here's the, here's the end game of the Christian life. Living faith that others see as Christ in you, and a living faith that gives you a spirit of love and boldness for your comfort, progress, and, and victory in Christ. And, and the other thing I want to say about this is when you, when you think about guarding the deposit, what, you're, what you want to do is honor God <clears throat> And serve your fellow man. And these things are what mark our faith and our progress in faith. So as we do that, and as we look for this faith that's alive in us, and apparently alive in us for the sake of others, we come to the Lord's table this morning, and as we celebrate that, we celebrate the fact that God is real. We celebrate the fact that God is with us but we also celebrate the fact that God is in us. Christ in you pursued as if we're living 5,000 years, 500 years in the future is what we experience when we come to this table. So our prayer would be that Christ would be alive in us. So here in the 15th anniversary of this church, I remember when we came in here the first couple of weeks, and there was a lot of space to move around. <laughs> and, and now we're here 15 years down the road, and we're not thinking about what the next five years means. It's okay to think about that. But we're thinking about what we can mean to this world and this neighborhood 100, 500 years from now, should the Lord hang out in heaven before returning. So when we come to the table this morning, come to the table in hope, come to the table in faith, and come to the table in love, asking that God increase his love and his gracious presence in us. So we'll come to the table this morning, and I have the privilege of serving Lord's Supper for the first time ever with my bride, who's now an elder here. I'm an elderly elder. She's a youthful elder, okay? So let's pray to come to the Lord's table this morning. God, your work 
of being with us and around us is amazing. But your work of being in us and transforming us is absolutely tantalizing. So, Lord, as we come to the table this morning, we pray that you'd forgive our sins, our shortcomings. Forgive the places in all of us that are resistant, even if we're resisting what's right. Lord, open us to everything you have for us. Fill us with your goodness. And uh, we pray this, Lord, in the expectation that there's a lot more for each of us to grow into. And we celebrate that. And we thank you that you give us the will and the power to boldly live for you. Amen.